Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. You're listening to episode number 47 of the Lean Blog Podcast. It is June 23rd, 2008. Our guest today, once again, is our good friend Norman Bodek, who's going to be talking about his most recent trip to Japan. For more information and links uh, about this podcast, you can visit leanpodcast.org. Find the post page for episode number 47. As always, thanks for listening. Well, Norman, it's it's been some time, but it's great to have you back here with us on the Lean Blog Podcast. Thank you very much, Mark. It's always my pleasure. So I understand that you recently came back from uh, another trip to Japan, um, your 68th trip over there um, over these years. So um, I'm happy you're, you're here with us and uh, curious to hear what you wanted to share about um, what you saw on that most recent trip. Thank you. These trips, I've been doing them since 1981. They're miraculous. I mean, those of you that know about me, I found so many of what we call the lean tools. And it's sort of the miracle in my life. Not that I created any of this, but somehow I have the talent to find it and to recognize these geniuses and then to publish their, their material in English and to share it with the rest of the world outside of Japan. Well, I I went over in April. It was sponsored by the Institute of Lean Systems, which is really a fabulous consulting group. They asked me to lead a study mission for them, and it wasn't very easy. It's a real challenge to do this, but it's probably, for me personally, it's the best learning experiences of my life is Mm -hmm. to do this. And also for the travelers, I'm always amazed why more Americans don't go to Japan on study missions. Um, in, in the past, I mean, Japan, which was literally destroyed after World War II, and they looked at us as their guarding an angel, and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Japanese with very little money came to America to study everything about our businesses. And then they went back and they did the best to replicate it, to copy us, and then to make incredible creative improvements. I mean, such as Toyota. Mm-hmm. Toyota was, you know, I don't know how much of the factories were destroyed, but at the end of World War II, they thought that MacArthur was not going to let them make trucks and cars again, that they were going to have to make bean paste. Mm-hmm. <laughs> bean, bean paste is used in Japanese sweets. Right. Um, but MacArthur insisted, says, you go back and make your trucks and your cars, and they did. And with very little money and lots of problems, slowly through continuous improvement, they created this amazing monster <laughs> in a in a positive sense. <laughs> they, they created this organization, which is one of the richest companies in the world today, right. and making more cars than General Motors. And so on on this trip, I did not know what to expect. It was very hard to set up. About 20 people joined me. Um, Maybe half came from Australia and half came from America. And it was a fabulous experience. I think of all those that I've taken, this was probably the best, the best by far. And I'll try to share what I learned that is, to me, so powerful that 
should make a dynamic shift for many companies in the world. What I've been struggling with in the last, say, six months is how can we leapfrog Toyota? I mean, they're so far ahead in so many ways, which is just-in-time system. Uh, I keynoted the Shingo Prize Conference in April, and I asked about 500 people in the audience, um, how many of your companies are attempting to be lean? And Mark, all the hands went up. Mm-hmm. And then I said to them, well, how many of you think you're all lean? Not one hand went up. Not one of the 500 went up. So what is Toyota doing? And is it possible to leapfrog them? And that was, that, that's been my quest. Toyota leapfrogged America somehow, leapfrogged General Motors and Ford slowly, but meticulously as they move forward, and especially using their, uh, what we know as the Toyota production system or just in time or what we call lean. Right. So I was very fortunate this time. Not very easy for me. <laughs> But I was accepted at the Toyota Tahara plant. And at that plant, they, they manufacture the new Lexus. And we were able to go in and see the SUVs being built. And they build maybe four or five models on the same line. Some for Lexus, some just for Toyota. Um, I am walking along... And this was the, the the epiphany, the moment of awakening. Mm-hmm. I look at a worker, and this worker is installing maybe eight to ten bolts. And it's very hard work because the car is above him. It's not tilted to the side. Mm-hmm. It's above him. And it was very hard work. And his tack time was... Uh, 60 seconds, which means um, Toyota makes five, approximately 500 of those um, SUVs in a day, and in order to stay on schedule, they establish this tack time of 60 seconds, and then the whole manufacturing process is wrapped around that tack time of 60 seconds, mm-hmm. including this man um, who has about 60 seconds to install and tighten those 8 to 10 bolts. Then I walked over to him. I couldn't talk to him, but there was a supervisor there. And I asked him through an interpreter, um, does he rotate? He mm-hmm. said no. Mm-hmm. No, he job. doesn't rotate. He's going to do that all day. And I said, well, for how long? He said, well, maybe the next three to six months he'll do mm-hmm. the same job. Now, that really shocked me in many ways, you know. Because recently I read a wonderful book by Liker and Hoseas. Excellent book. I recommend it to everyone. And it's called Toyota Culture. Mm-hmm. I like that. Uh, I liked his other books, but I like this by far the best. And the essence of the book, uh, Toyota Culture, is that what Toyota does uniquely is the second pillar, which is called respect for people. Right. This is what's really missing in America. We're all installing the tools but very few understand what this respect for people is all about. So if you read the book, you see the essence of the of, of Liker, Hosea's focal point is the development of people, right. development of people's skills. And as you develop people's skills, that's the way you really give them respect. You know, the old saying is you can 
you know, you can feed somebody or you can teach somebody to feed themselves, and which is more powerful, of course, teaching people to feed themselves. So I read this wonderful book. I go to Japan, and I've been to Kyoto 35 times in my life, something like that. But I never stopped to think about what I saw. I mean, sure, I've been thinking about it. I've been writing about it. But there's very little I knew what you could do to change the essence of work. I mean, if we go back to Frederick Taylor, father of industrial engineering, and you go back to Henry Ford, they created, especially Henry Ford created the modern manufacturing mass production. And when he set up his assembly line, uh, the worker would stand and do the exact same thing over and over again. Right. When we go back to the 1800s, I wasn't there, but I assumed <laughs> that I was from my reading, that a carpenter made an, was able to make an entire table on his own. As a young man, the carpenter would apprentice with a master. And slowly, over around a six-year period, they would learn to become a master on their own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they could do oh, virtually anything in the field of carpentry. And that, to me, sounds very exciting and very wonderful to build your skills and then to apply it in life. Now, Henry Ford set up this mass production, and it did wonderful things. It wasn't negative. It did wonderful things because it made Ford the most successful company in the world, and it gave the worker a living. Yeah, yeah. And most of these workers were immigrants. Many of them could not even speak English. And they had families to feed. And then Henry Ford did an amazing thing as he doubled their salary. Mm -hmm. You know, giving them a great sense of dignity, even though the work itself was denigrating. The work itself, do you know what I mean, was boring and tedious. In fact, a friend of mine, Alan Robinson, wrote the book, the professor at the University of Massachusetts, and wrote the book, Ideas Are Free, was speaking to him last week. And he mentioned that he stays in touch with all of his former students, about 35,000 of them, takes a survey of a base of them. And what they said, 60% of them said, I hate work. I hate my job. Yeah, that's wow. sad. And then I sent another letter back. I said, Alan, is that figure correct, 60%? He said, well, I'm not sure what I said, Norman. But I saw a study in England where it said 80% mm. hate, hate their job. When I keynote a conference, I ask the audience, what's the favorite day of the week? And almost everybody says Friday or Saturday. Almost nobody mm -hmm. says Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. Yeah. So in essence, you know, we go to work without the love of work. Okay, this is my preface to what I discovered. Then I go to Canon Camera. And this is what is explosive. This is what is revolutionary. This is what I believe we can leapfrog Toyota. We'll talk about that in a second. Mm -hmm. If we go back to Toyota, to this factory, this is amazing. Toyota's you know, coming from Ono and Shingo. Um, the focal point was just in time and TPS or I mean lean was the elimination of all non-valuating waste. Yeah. And we defined these wastes. The first waste for Ono was inventory. That was the biggest one that he attacked was inventory. And whenever I met Ono, 
on my frequent trips to Japan, he would give the same lecture as he would show a picture of a river. <laughs> and then underneath the, the the river was considered to be inventory, and inventory would cover all of the waste, right. machine failures, people not skilled, defects, etc. And then he said what he did at Toyota was just to lower the river slowly and allow some of those peaks to pop up, and then they would attack him. Okay. Ono died many years ago. Um, and then for, for even though Toyota attacked these waves, they called seven waves, and then I added two. But the seven waves, we, most of us know about those seven, and one of those seven is inventory. Well, when you walk along, when I walked along and saw this final assembly line, see, Toyota has, in the machining sections, they have cells, cellular manufacturing, which is what we've tried to copy over here. But in the final, the final area, building the final car, it's on a conveyor belt. Mm-hmm. Okay. And inherently, there's a tremendous amount of waste in a conveyor belt. Tremendous waste in a conveyor belt for many reasons. Uh, people have to wait pretty much for each other. They're time to tack time, right? If somebody mm-hmm. is fast, they just have to have to wait. Right. That's one thing. The other thing in the conveyor belt system at Toyota, there's a tremendous amount of inventory. I mean, Ono probably is rolling over. You can look up and you'll see the way it's designed. The cars. Many of the cars are on hooks, you know, and many of the cars are not being worked on as they move from area to area. Mm-hmm. When they come down to the final assembly part, then you'll see one car and a group of workers working on those cars one at a time. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, there's a lot of waste of cars in the process. And then Mr. Choke comes along because he didn't like the idea of the whole factory stopping sure, when sure. somebody pulled the end on cord. And so he put buffers. Now, I know he did this in Georgetown. I'm not sure if he did this in Tahara. I didn't ask and I didn't see it. But I know he did it in Georgetown where he put, so somebody, you know, pulls a cord, only about 15 people stop. And there's like three cars of buffer right. between Okay, so the enormous amount of waste still exists at Toyota. In fact, the present chairman of Toyota just said this week that Toyota has to take out a lot of the waste. So he's going to focus on what can we, what can they mm-hmm. do to substantially reduce costs. Yeah. And I think that he can. Okay, this is all in preface to the next step, which I think is amazing, is at Canon. I visited a Canon plant. Probably the best plant I've ever seen of the 280 plants I've probably seen in my life in Japan. Yeah. Uh, At Canon, we come to the first cell, and I'm seeing a man assembling a copier. And I asked the guide, uh, what's the tack time? And the guide said, the tack time there is 30 minutes. Which means this particular man, right, has 30 minutes to complete his job or mm-hmm. complete 
that part of the copy that he's working on. That means he has to install by memory, you know, a hundred or so parts. That, that sounds more like building a table. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's more like building a table. You're absolutely right. Look at the skill, right, that this man, look at the, the education, the training mm-hmm. that how to go into this man to know how to, in sequence, and they're not looking at any manuals or anything. They have all this in memory. And they're building that copier. And I'm told from Canon, number one, because they used to have an assembly line. I was in that plant years ago, and there was a final assembly line, a final conveyor belt. And they don't have that anymore. They learned from Toyota. They learned from the Toyota system uh, and established the cells. And he said it only took them two months to increase productivity when they went to the cellular manufacturing mm-hmm. over the conveyor belt. Two months. Wow. So they've increased productivity, number one. Because, you see, we went from the carpenter of the 1800s to the Ford assembly line to increase productivity, which they did. Now, in the 2000 century, Toyota, or I mean, not Toyota, Canon has determined that they can go back to the skills, building skill sets for people, right? Mm-hmm. And also be highly productive at the same time and producing that product with a very high level of quality. Mm-hmm. Interesting. They call these people the ones that really develop their skills to the fullest. They call them supermeisters. Meister is a German word mm-hmm. meaning Master. Yeah, there is one lady, no, there is eight of them in that plan, I believe eight or nine, that are called supermeisters. Okay, so this isn't every employee. This is. No, every employee is skill levels built up. Up, 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 up. Okay. Right? So I don't know what the tack time is with everybody on that plan. It was a very big plant, you know, three, four hundred, uh, I mean, three or four football fields in size. It was very large. So I don't know what everyone is doing. But mm-hmm. the people that I saw, their tack time was somewhere around 30 minutes or more. And these supermeisters could build a copier in four hours mm-hmm. on themselves. That's from, I don't know, that's from three to 5,000 parts that they could build Assemble, not 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 the machining, but they can assemble on their own without even referring to a manual. Wow. I tell you, this is incredible. Yeah, it flies in the face of what most people are taught about efficiency, right? Yeah, but the why this is so beautiful, Mark, and this is one of the areas that I've always was interested in, is in the quality of work life mm-hmm. of people. Right. It's why I asked them what day of the week that you like. And I was hopeful that using quick and easy Kaizen and getting lots of ideas from people, then people through their ideas would begin to change their own quality of work life. Mm -hmm. And they would find work so much more interesting as they implement their own ideas. Right. Right? Why American companies don't do this? That's another thing. I mean, the New Yorker last week, a week ago, had a wonderful article on the financial page where it said that the average company in Japan gets a hundred times the number of suggestions that American companies get. And the average Japanese company 
saves about $333 per suggestion. That's about $4,000 a year per mm. worker from their ideas. And American companies don't do this. We run to China to save money, and we don't open the incredible resource mm-hmm. that's in the minds of all of the people that work for us. Now, the quality of work life in this plant, Canon was the best I've ever seen in the world, by far. And in so many ways, first of all, the plan was spotless. You know, it, for a factory, it was super clean. Yeah. It sparkled. It was well lit. Another thing is the plant was noiseless. Noiseless. Mm-hmm. Silent, yeah. They took all of the tools and scientifically took the drills, etc., and somehow took out the noise. Mm-hmm. And you go to any other factory, most of the factories I go to, they say, look, Norman, here's a pair of uh, earplugs. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of attacking the noise in the machines, <laughs> right? Right. Here, here wear ear, earplugs. And a lot of people don't like earplugs, and they don't wear them, and eventually when they reach my age, they're deaf. Yeah. You see, the American unionism, and they're getting clobbered. They're really getting clobbered. And, and they, I'm not saying that they deserve it in a certain sense because American unions said the following. We want workers to work smarter, not harder. Mm-hmm. And that's their downfall because, number one, working smarter, they never forced companies to teach workers how to work smarter, except you, except if you were a trade union. I mean, mm-hmm. if you were an electrician, carpenter, the unions were very good and they did high-level teaching to those trades. But when you go to the big unions, the automotive unions especially, they would say work smarter and not harder, and they put people into become drones, doing the same thing over and over and over and over again in their whole life. I mean, I was at one plant, Oldsmobile plant. I wrote this in my book, Kaikaku, which is uh, I looked at one man doing repetitive work, and I turned to the guide, and I said to the guy, how long is he going to do that? And he said, I don't know how long he's going to do it, but we had one man in this plant for 43 years, and all he did was put off a tire mm-hmm. on a hook. So all he did, pick up a tire, put it on the hook, and the hook would take the tire to the line. Yeah. The irony of the story is that this particular worker only collected two retirement checks. Yeah. Yeah. He died within one month of retiring. So work harder and not work smarter. The unions never insisted that the companies educate the workers. And not harder is baloney. We have to work harder in order to survive in this world. If we're going to compete with the Indians and the and the Chinese and the Korean, we got to work our tails off. Not necessarily in hours. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have to put more hours in, but we have to work harder to learn to develop skills. So now, so many of the high-skilled jobs are going to India, or going to China. What are we left with? Yeah, yeah. What are we left with? We're left with the you know, McDonald's and uh, and and you know service industries, and people make a fraction less than they made on the factory floors. I think we're into something astronomical. I think that what Canon is doing. If we can emulate it, if we can get American companies to start to invest. And, you know, you ask, you ask people, what's your most important asset? What do they say? I mean, what, 
the, the cliche is to say our people, right? Of right. course. Yeah. Your people, but they don't invest in these assets, and they get rid of them. I think what I saw at the Cannon plant is revolutionary. It's explosive. The Wall Street Journal mentioned it also this week. The Wall Street Journal had an interesting article uh, talking about what Japan is doing to confront not sending everything to China, Mm -hmm. how they're keeping their skill base and building more factories in Japan, and how to develop the talent. Uh, of course, Japan has made a dynamic shift to part-time labor. When the part-time labor used to be in the maybe five to ten percent of, of the company, some companies I visited, part-time labor was up to fifty percent. Yeah, yeah. So they're using that. One is the one that they're using part-time labor, and secondly, I saw that they're all rushing to automate. I mean, really rushing to automate because if I can automate, then I don't have to worry about China. Yeah, but Mark, we're into something fantastic, and you're the first person that I'm sharing it with. Um, I'm gonna I'm writing a story for uh, Superfactory.com, and I'm gonna include what we're talking about in that story. But you and I have to do more work in this area to teach, especially as consultants. We have to teach American companies the advantages of continuously educating our people. Right, right. Toyota wants everybody to be an engineer. They don't do it yet. And also, you know, I'm not faulting Toyota because they're in transition. You know, I'm sure within five years, they will have corrected all of these problems yeah. and they'll be more like Canon. Because we're taking we're, time to get there. Yeah, because when you describe that person doing the same eight bolts over and over again, that that doesn't necessarily sound like a, a learning culture or investing in people. So hopefully, well, but you see, they do. They no, I mean, the, 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 the mark they do. <clears throat> I don't want to give. I don't want to be misleading in this. Toyota do, in, probably invests in their people more than anyone else. But those that really get a chance, take advantage of this, is when they reach the level of team leader. When they reach a team, when they reach a level of team leader or group leader, then they could use the vast base of knowledge that Toyota has poured into them. But the average worker, and it could take, you know, Japan, it could take seven to ten years, taking seven years maybe to become a team leader in Japan. It's not an easy not an easy jump. I think it's quicker in the United States, Georgetown, maybe take four years at Georgetown. At least it has been traditionally to maybe become a team leader. But then once you're a team leader, you're making a lot of decisions. And then you are training people in very, you know, multi, multiple skill sets. And Toyota in Georgetown does rotate every two hours, and I was shocked that they didn't do that in Japan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, because it seems like the uh, the idea of involving everybody w- w- would include the frontline production workers, not just group leaders and team leaders, I guess, in an well, ideal... Well, well, you know what I'm saying, Mark? I think that these people are educated, but many of them are not given the opportunity to use that skill. If they work in a machine shop, then I think they have an opportunity to use more of those skills, right? But not on the final assembly line. So they got a couple of thousand people at each of these plants, which pretty much function like robots. Mm-hmm. And I hope that will change soon. Canon has done it. Canon, Canon is brilliant. 
uh, the funny thing in that plant, this is the funny joke, is the only noise that I really heard was a Toyota forklift. <laughs> and I visited Toyota forklift, too. Yeah. I visited that company, and it was we had a brilliant visit there. Really brilliant. I mean, they were, they were teaching us uh, how they do training. And it was just wonderful to look at how they do train. Um, I have at least two other brilliant stories that you're going to have to call me back on. <laughs> okay. Really brilliant. I want to talk. I met, we met on this trip, an ex-Toyota plant manager, and it was absolutely wonderful. And, of course, what I love for it, what one of the things I really loved, I mean, he was just brilliant. But what I loved is he worked personally with Cho, current chairman, and he worked also with Ono and Shingo for a number of years. Mm, okay. And he said the following, so I'll give you a little hint. He said the following about Ono. Ono, you know, was brilliant on the factory floor. So Ono came to the factory floor each day to move his concepts forward. And, of course, he was brilliant, brilliant teacher. Shingo, on the other hand, taught Toyota industrial engineering, taught Toyota problem-solving techniques, and Shingo was the prime person to spread JIT throughout Toyota. He was the prime person to spread it throughout Toyota. Ono worked on the factory floor discovering and working daily with it, and Shingo was this great consultant that would come to Toyota and to teach. Just before Shingo died, I said to Shingo, who invented Just-In-Time? You were Ono. And Shingo said, mm -hmm. I did. I was Ono's teacher. <laughs> yeah. And I also said the same thing. I asked the same question to other people that worked with both Shingo and Ono, both top managers. In fact, one of the most successful managers in the world today is Mikao. <laughs> from Shinji Jitsu, and he told me that which came first, the chicken or the egg. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Mark. We'll talk again soon about what I learned from this ex-Toyota plant manager, and I also want to talk about what I learned from one of the top Toyota suppliers, and it's absolutely brilliant. People are just going to have to wait for the next installment. Oh, great. Okay, great. Okay. Thanks an awful lot, Mark, and okay. enjoy the weekend. Bye. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.